So we've met David. We, we met him in the first talk as we looked at 1 Kings 16. David, chosen to be um, the leader of Israel. God had done a test on David's heart, and the results were good. For God tested his heart and saw that David was a man after his own heart. And for that reason, God said to Samuel, he's the one. And he was anointed. We also met the leadership qualities um, that make a heart after God's heart. We discovered uh, together from opening God's word and really confirmed with the things that um, Craig Hamilton shared that the leader qualities that we look at is character or a heart of purity. Uh, leaders have a, have a heart of integrity where they not only talk the talk, but they walk it as well. They walk the walk and they have a heart for people, a love for people. But the human heart is under threat. Not just that muscle that beats in your chest, that in itself is a fragile organ. It only weighs about 230 grams, but it beats around 100,000 times a day. It pumps around 7,600 liters of blood throughout your body every single day. But things like cholesterol, high blood pressure, stress, cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory fitness, body weight, I mean, they all can have an adverse impact on the health of your heart. Your heart is under threat. And so too is the heart of a leader. And I'm not referring to that muscle that is beating within your chest. The word for heart in Hebrew is the word leb, or lev, the word that reflects and refers to your intellect, your will, and your emotions. Everything that establishes your identity, who you are. Your heart is under threat. Your intellect, your mind, your mind, what you think about. Your will, the choices that you make in life. Your emotions, how you feel. They're under threat. And perhaps nowhere in the Bible uh, do we find this truth more clearer than the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, it's just unbelievable, says Jeremiah. The word deceitful in the Hebrew literally means bumpy or rough. So what Jeremiah is saying literally and simply is this, the human heart is rougher. It's more bumpy than anything else. It's desperately sick. What you think about, the choices you make in life, and how you feel. Your heart is fragile and it's under threat. Now you might wonder, uh, fragile, uh, under threat from what? What makes our heart or the heart of a leader so desperately sick? What will adversely affect what you think about, the choices you make in life, and how you feel? 
Well, we know from the Bible that there are three voices that are a threat to the human heart. Three voices. And the voices are the voices of the devil, the world, and our own flesh. I mean, the Heidelberg Catechism, if you go back into that confession of the church, it explains the meaning of the sixth request in the Lord's Prayer. You know the sixth request, don't you? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is that petition saying? What does it mean? It's saying this. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, they never stop, never stop attacking us. The heart of a leader is under threat. Never stop attacking you. Who you are, what you think, the choices you make in life, and how you feel. Three voices that threaten the health of your heart. The first voice is the voice of the devil. The Apostle Paul put it like this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our hearts struggle with the devil. The Apostle Peter tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, to eat you up. To destroy you. And the devil will go after your heart. And as our Lord Jesus himself said, the thief or the devil comes only to do one thing. And that is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Our hearts are under threat. They're under threat also from the world. That's the second voice, the voice of the world. Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, that the world is going to hate you. If you don't know it, it's true. The world hates you. They'll persecute you just as they persecuted Jesus. The Apostle Paul warns followers of Jesus, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world is not truth. In fact, the world suppresses truth. The world that Paul is referring to is the godless world, a world of godlessness and wickedness. That godless world wants to make its imprint on your heart. And that's especially true of leaders. To mold you, to shape you. What you think about, the choices you make, and how you feel all shaped and molded by the pattern of this godless world. So we have the devil, we have the world, and we have the voice of your own flesh. We're told in the Bible that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. There's a conflict going on. It's a conflict of the heart.
I mean, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, and he knew this battle in his own heart, didn't he? He writes elsewhere, he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Where? In my inner being, in my heart. A battle in his inner being, waging war, as he says, within his own members, right there in his heart. His own flesh is a threat to his heart. What he thinks about, what he chooses to do, and how he feels. So in the face of these three voices that are a threat to a leader's heart or to your heart, what do you and I need to do? Well, the Bible tells us what we need to do. Above all else. So if there's one thing that you need to do as a leader, as, as you need to do as a follower of Jesus, if, there's, if you think you think of a zillion of other things above everything else, Guard your heart. Above everything else you do, guard your heart. Jesus put it this way, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You need to guard your heart, for everything in life flows out of your heart. So when you think of a leader, a leader needs to think of his heart. Because everything he does, everything she does, comes out of the overflow of his or her heart. That's true for every person. And it's especially true of the heart of a leader. For if a leader does not guard his or her heart, I mean, they'll put their heart at risk. What he thinks, what he does, and how he feels. And so for the rest of our time this afternoon that we're going to spend together, I want to show you from the life of David how David guarded his heart. Flip over from chapter 16 to chapter 17 in 1 Samuel. It's a very familiar story, but perhaps today you'll hear it differently. The story of David, the confrontation that he has with Goliath. This chapter opens up by telling us that the people faced a battle. The arch enemy, the Philistines, had gathered forces for war. And the battle lines are drawn. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley in between them. And the Israelites and the Philistines were at a standoff for 40 days. That's a long time. At a standoff. Israel faced a large giant in this battle. His name was Goliath. We're told that he is from Gath. And when you have details in the Bible, they're there for a reason. And you will know in a little while 
why it was important to have that insertion there, that Goliath came from the city of Gath. He stood over nine feet tall, a real champion, meaning that he had fought lots of people in his past. He's covered in armor. I mean, his coat alone weighed 57 kilograms. The point on his massive spear, we're not just talking about the whole spear, but the spear itself, just the point, weighed about seven kilograms. And each day for 40 days, he taunts the Israelites to send a man over to see if one of their soldiers will be able to fight and kill him. And his shouts ran out. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And that fight would determine the outcome of the battle. Well, in the face of this battle, we're told that King Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I mean, they're overcome with great fear, massive fear. I mean, no one volunteers to go and fight the giant. And the standoff remains. They're running away. They're afraid. And among the soldiers who followed Saul to battle are Jesse's three sons. The oldest ones. I mean, Eliab, you know their names now, Abinadab and, remember? Shammah. They followed Saul, but we're told David went back and forth, back and forth to tend his father's sheep at the little town of Bethlehem. I mean, Jesse's too old to go out to battle and David is too young. Besides, someone's got to do the menial task and do the chores on the family farm. Take care of the sheep. And in addition, David is given a menial task to carry food and supplies to the troops. Though his dad gives David some roasted grain, ten loaves of bread, and ten piece, chunks of cheese to give to the commander of the unit where his brothers are now serving. I mean, they needed some granola for breakfast and they needed some toasties to chew on while they sat and waited for the outcome of the battle. And David does what he was told. He left early in the morning and he reached the camp just as the army was going out to their battle position, shouting their battle cry. David drops off the food at the supply tent and he joins his brothers on the front lines of the battlefields, on the front lines of the battlefield. And we're told that as he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion from where? From Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. And it's here on the battlefield that we learn some powerful lessons how to guard your heart as a leader. And for the rest of our time this afternoon, I want to talk about the importance of self-analysis. How you as a leader perceive yourself. How do you see yourself as a leader? As a leader, your work, your ministry, like your life, must bear the scrutiny of your own evaluation. How do you see yourself as a leader? Do you have a good understanding of who you are? If you ignore self-analysis, 
If you ignore it, it will limit your potential as a leader. Now look at verse 26. Here we read, David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistines and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of Israel? The armies of the living God. Now from this verse, it is clear that David has done the hard work of self-analysis. I mean, the task before him and the rest of Israel was huge. I mean, before them stood this giant of a man, a champion, all nine feet of muscle and steel. I mean, he, his resources, I mean, they're limited. Later on, we're told in the story that when Goliath saw him, he looked at David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. Just a cute little kid. As a leader, as a boy, David was weak to the task. But it's interesting, he doesn't back down. He wants to know, well, how are we going to get this job done? Let's get it done. How can you let this Goliath of a man, you know, continue to defy the armies of God and go against the people of Israel and shout all these taunts all the time. Well, what are we going to do about it? Let's do something. All the others, including King Saul, are too frightened and can either speak or think. <laughs> David's not afraid. I mean, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran away from him in great fear. And you contrast to David... And how he responds, and how does he respond? He runs to the battle lines, to the front lines of the battle. David faces the challenge head on while the rest of the Israelites cower in great fear. I mean, David is determined to see Goliath destroyed and have this disgrace removed from Israel. No uncircumcised Philistine ought to defy the armies of the living God. Now, where does that determination come from? It comes from a self-analysis, from a leader's self-perception. Sure, there's a giant on the battlefield, but you know, often the battlefield is not out there, it's in our heart. The giant is in our head. The voices we hear in our head are not that of Goliath, but the voices of the devil, the voices of the world, the voices of our own flesh. I mean, do we listen to these voices? I mean, those voices will impact what we think, what we do, and how we feel. I mean, David could have listened to those voices. He could have listened to the devil, the world, and our, his own flesh. And with the rest of Israel, he would have cowered in fear. Fear this monstrous evil that would destroy him. Fear of others. I mean, what would people think of me if I actually questioned these things and talk about it? And bring it up for discussion. Fear of failure. I mean, what can I do? I'm only a boy. I can't do this. 
But David guarded his heart. And he guarded his heart by listening to another voice. Not the voice of the devil, not the voice of the world, not the voice of his own flesh, but the voice of God. He listened to the voice of God. There's a song recorded in the Bible, a song that David wrote when the Lord, we read, quote-unquote, delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. And there's one line in the song, and it goes like this. With your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale or I can leap over a wall. Remember that line. One line from this song. See, David's confidence does not rest in his own ability and strength, but in the power of the living God. I mean, this was something that the people of Israel forgot over and over and over again. Time and time again, they tried to live their lives and fight the battles that they faced with their own strength. Israel was a nation that searched for their security in a human king. But here, tall, King Saul, I mean, he's weak, he's powerless. And here on the battlefield, David gives clear evidence that he truly has done self-analysis. Look at verse 34. He tells King Saul about the lessons he learned in life as a shepherd boy. The times a lion or a bear would come and carry off his sheep from the flock. And how these animals would turn on him, but then David would grab them by the scruff of the neck and he would kill them. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David had done self-analysis. He might only be a boy, but with God at his side, this giant Goliath was not someone that had to be feared. The battle belonged to the Lord. David went out in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel. He crossed over the battle line to overcome this giant. I mean, Saul and his and the armies of Israel, I mean, they looked at the giant and thought, oh, he's so big, how can we overcome him? David looked at Goliath and thought to himself, my God is so big, how in the world can I miss? And with one stone in his sling and with God directing the flight of that stone, the giant was overcome. And David and the people of Israel were able to leap over a wall. As David sang, with God's help, I am able to scale a wall. There is no need for Israel to be afraid. If only they had listened to the voice of God. Because God had spoken time and time again. In the past, when they faced enemies of all kind, God said to them through their leader Moses, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very eyes. See, when we face challenges in life and in ministry, the Lord promises to go before us. We don't have to be afraid of what lies ahead. 
I mean, later God um, told the people of Israel that they're going to face nations greater and stronger than you, which large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall. They are the Anakites. But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out. Giants, strong and tall. Large cities, high walls. So whatever happened to those Anakites? Were they driven away from Israel? No, not quite. We're told that the Anakites were driven away and they were destroyed, but there were three cities that remained. Gaza, Ashdod, and what was the name of the other one? Gath. Oh, Gath. Now you know why we're reminded in 1 Samuel 17 that this tall and strong champion named Goliath was from Gath. He was a descendant of the Anakites. I mean, God had promised that he would go before them. And he would drive the Anakites out of the land. And it was this little boy with a slingshot who trusted in a giant God that saw the fulfillment of that promise that God had made. No enemy was too big. No wall was too high. With God's help, I will advance against the troop. And with my God, I will leap. I will scale over a wall. See, David had done his self-analysis. He knew his strength and his weaknesses. But more importantly, he knew where his strength came from. And so with courage and determination, in the name of the Lord Almighty, he faced the giant and he showed to all those gathered there. And he, you know, I mean, this is not by sword or spear that the Lord will save but the battle belongs to the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. God had promised that through Moses. And it was accomplished by David. I mean, self-analysis. That's what effective leaders do. They analyze their strengths and their weaknesses. I mean, the Apostle Paul put it this way, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of the faith that God has given to you. And that's what good leaders do. They do a self-analysis. They don't think of themselves more highly than they ought, but they, they think of themselves with sober judgment. You see yourself honestly in terms of your strengths and your weaknesses. I mean, if you have strength as a leader, this is not an occasion to boast. I mean, we all have strengths. But boast of what you have and what you do, that doesn't come from God. In fact, the Bible says that the boasting of what he has and what he does comes not from the Father, but from the world. If you're listening to the voice of the world... That's what you will do. You will go around boasting of what you have and what you do. While we should not boast about our strengths, we still need to accept the strengths that God has given us. 
I mean, David had strengths, didn't he? For example, he knew how to use a slingshot. Now, we might think that a slingshot was not an effective uh, taught or a tool to use in military. But you know, in ancient Israel, the soldiers, they learned how to use a slingshot in battle. For example, we read in Judges chapter 20 that among all the soldiers, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, each of who could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. I mean, they could split a hair with a stone in a slingshot. I mean, David was a skilled marksman. He understood and accepted his God-given strengths. And he chose to use the gifts that God had given him for God's purposes. He didn't need armor and a spear like they all wanted him to wear, just like Goliath. He didn't need them. What he needed was a slingshot. Because he knew how to use that. And that made him usable to God, who gave those gifts to him, how to use it. But David also knew that no weapon would be able to save them. Yes, he knew how to use a slingshot. He didn't boast about that. What he boasted in was the fact that only God saves because while he used his strengths, he did it all to the glory of God. In all that he did, he boasted only in one place, and that is in God, in God alone. Now, if you have weaknesses, as a leader, this is not an occasion to think less of yourself or think that you cannot be used by God. I mean, we all have weaknesses. David did. He had heaps of them. I mean, first of all, he was just a boy, just a kid. And if you journey through the rest of David's life, you soon discover that David as a leader was riddled with weakness. But David is also quick to admit, as he does in Psalm 51, I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You know, already there in the womb, kicking and doing whatever you do in a womb. I mean, I was already... Sinful there. But you know, in spite of our weaknesses as leaders, God is still able to use us if we would just allow him. In the New Testament, we meet the Apostle Paul who had his own share of weaknesses. Listen to his admission that he does to the church in Corinth, the church that he had planted. He says, I came to you in weakness and with much trembling and fear. My message and my preaching, I mean, they're with not wise and persuasive words. I mean, you'd listen to me and you thought, wow, what could, that guy can hardly talk. Paul, in fact, boasted of his weakness. In fact, he says, if I must boast, <laughs> I boast of all the things that show my weakness. In fact, Paul delighted in his weakness. I mean, in the book of Corinthians, he speaks about this thorn in his flesh that tormented his life and how he asked God time and time and time again to remove this thorn, but God didn't. Instead, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God, if you're weak, if you have weaknesses, God can still use you. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that amazing? So you have strengths, yes. And you have weaknesses, but your weaknesses God can use to demonstrate his power and to show his strength. In spite of his weaknesses, God was able to use Paul in a very powerful way. That is why Paul could say, and here's the bottom line, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That was where David's heart was at. I can do everything through God who gives me strength. And with that, he let his little stone fly. You know, knowing your strengths and weaknesses is especially important when you face conflict as a leader. And you will face conflict. If you are serious about doing ministry, I don't care what kind of leadership you're talking about, whether it's in your family, in your marriage, in your in your community, in your church, as a pastor, as an elder, worship leader. If you're serious about doing ministry, I mean, reaching the lost, discipling the found, multiplying gospel workers, and living out the kingdom of God in our world, you will face conflict. In this world, you will have trouble, says Jesus. David faced conflict. He faced conflict, first of all, from within. In his own family. I mean, when he was ready to do battle, his oldest brother, Ilya, burned with anger against him. Have you ever faced that as a leader? I have, many times. Anger. And this anger, this conflict, comes often from within. From within your own family, within your own church family. And that anger turned into criticism. Eliab started to criticize David and tell him that he was nothing more than a conceited person with a wicked heart, that he was just there for the show or to be a show off. He was more of a shepherd than he was a soldier. Thanks for the toasties, but you better go home. David faced conflict from within. But he also faced conflict from without. We're told that Goliath despised him. The world will hate you. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now just imagine, here's David. Remember, he's just a boy. No match for this giant. No match for the abuse that is thrown at him. So what do you do when you face conflict? You do what David did. 
Guard your heart. David kept a strong view of himself and what God wanted him to be and to do. He did not back down. He knew that it was God's will that this giant, this descendant of the Anakites, this man from Gath, that he needed to be stopped dead in his tracks and quit defying the armies of the living God. And no one was going to stand in his way of completing that mission. Not his brother and not this uncircumcised Philistine. No one. He came to do God's will. So when you face conflict, not if you face conflict, but when you face conflict, as you will, keep a strong view of yourself and what God has called you to do and to be as a leader. People might be angry. You might be criticized. You might be cursed. You might be laughed at. You might even be abused. I've had all of those things as a leader in my own life. But stay true to your mission that God has given to you and stay true to the vision that God has laid on your heart. Listen to not the voice of the devil or the voice of the world or even your own sinful human flesh, but listen to what God says, what he has told you to do. The vision that he has laid on your heart. And you're going to learn more about that tomorrow. The importance of vision in the life of a leader. Do you want to be an effective leader? Then guard your heart by doing a self-analysis. Guard your heart by accepting your strengths. Guard your heart by allowing God to use you, even in your weakness, to display His saving power. Guard your heart by knowing your weaknesses, your dependence upon God, and knowing that God can even use you when you are weak. For when you are weak, then you are strong. Never forget that. That's the voice of God. When you are weak, in those weakest moments in your life, you're strong. Because <laughs> your strength does not lie in yourself or in the world. Don't buy the lies of the evil one. Your strength lies in God. When you are weak, then you are strong. In fact, you can do everything through God who gives you strength. With God's help, you and I can overcome the enemies we face. First of all, the arch enemy, the devil. Enemies out there in the world. And enemies deep within your own heart. Any obstacle in front of you, we can overcome. It might look like an adult-sized job, but with God's help, a little boy will do. A little boy will be enough to do it. And that's the challenge that is before us as leaders. You can cower and tremble in fear before the giants you face and let them keep bullying you around. Or you can pick up whatever God has given you. Any strengths that he has enabled you. Pick up whatever you have and allow God to bless it and to use it to bring victory.
to help you leap over a wall to see God's kingdom come here on this earth. With God's help, you can do it. With God's help, we can do it. With God's help, we can face the troops. And with God's help, we can scale a wall. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so blessed by your word. Because every time we open it up, we uncover these nuggets of truth about who we are as individuals and especially who we are as leaders. And so help us, Lord, to each one of us, in whatever capacity we find ourselves, to get to that place of self-analysis. To be a man in the mirror, to look at ourselves. To see the strengths you've given us and use them to your glory. And boast of our weakness. So that we will see the manifestation of the power of Christ in and through our lives. Lord, thank you that we have your promise. That with your help, we can do all things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.